Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Monday. I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. So today we are going to talk about women, what it is to be a woman and why we as Christians uh, should reject the world's message about womanhood and feminism and embrace God's view of women instead. And the reason this came to mind is because there was a video that was posted on Vanessa Hudgens Instagram, at least that's the post that I saw, I don't know if it was also posted elsewhere, that was a montage of very provocative images of women and girls that were meant to illustrate what the narrator Cynthia Nixon was saying. Uh, Cynthia Nixon starred in Sex in the City and also ran for governor and lost the primary against Cuomo. She is obviously a radical feminist and this video further demonstrates that. Um, I want to play some of it. Now, if you are watching on YouTube, you might want to skip over this part, close your eyes, because like I said, it is provocative, but I do think it's important to set this up and give some kind of context so you don't think that I'm just making this up. I, I would not watch it with your kids. Uh, it is kind of dark and disturbing, but before we actually play that, I do want to tell you guys about the sponsor for today's podcast, and this is a company that I just love that I've been uh, using for a long time. If there is anything, guys, if there's anything that I have learned as a parent, it's that you have to eat when you can. And in order to make sure that the food that you're eating is actually nutritious, so you're not just grabbing like chicken nuggets or grabbing some kind of granola bar, which just doesn't have a whole lot of nutritional value. Uh, you have to take steps to actually do that. And Daily Harvest is helping busy moms like me do that. They deliver the food you want to eat, but you don't have time to make right to your door. Daily Harvest makes it easy to eat more fruits and vegetables, something that I don't do very well on my own if it weren't for Daily Harvest. Uh, they have thoughtfully sourced chef crafted foods that can be prepared in five minutes or less. They work directly with farms to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and then freeze them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients. Everything stays fresh until you're ready to enjoy it. Maybe you are uh, giving up bad food, junk food, sweets for Lent or something like that, and you want to replace those bad foods with good foods, well, Daily Harvest is a really, really good option for that. Or maybe you're just now getting around to kicking off your uh, New Year's resolutions. That's kind of where I am right now. And you're trying to eat more vegetables and stay fuller longer by filling yourself with good things. Well, Daily Harvest is an awesome option for you and super convenient. Uh, you can choose from more than 65 different options like smoothies, hearty soup, harvest bowls, overnight oats. My husband loves the overnight oats. Uh, each recipe takes one step to prepare with room to make them your own. So you can add your favorite milk. I use almond milk. So you can do that to blend up a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl and top it with avocado or fried egg. Uh, whether you're on your way to work out, picking the kids up from school, or if you just want a healthy lunch at home, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or snack. So go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code relatable get $25 off your first box that is an awesome deal that is promo code relatable for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com dailyharvest.com promo code relatable okay now I want to play you just a little bit of this video that we are going to cover today be a lady they said your skirt is too short your shirt is too low don't show so much skin cover up leave something to the imagination don't be a temptress. Men can't control themselves. Men have needs. Look sexy. Look hot. Don't be so provocative. You're asking for it. 
Now, some of you might be saying, why would you play this at all? Well, because like I said, I want to make sure that you have a little bit of context for what is teeing this up. Uh, the video keeps going like that. We only played you a little bit of it. I think it's like over five minutes long. Keeps going like that. It repeats things that women apparently hear, uh, hear very often to, I suppose, drive home the point that women are constantly held to unfair standards that society namely men, the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, pressures women into looking and acting inauthentically, unnaturally in order to conform to arbitrary and narrow definitions of beauty and value. I am assuming that is the point of this video. Uh, that seems to be the message of not just this video listing all of these oppressive things that women hear, but also the message of today's feminism in general. Um, are you ready though? Are you ready for my first reaction to all of this, uh, to this video? My first reaction or my first thing that I want to say about this is that it is true, dot, 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 to an extent. So let me start with the truth that is in this video that I think has caused women, even Christian women that I've seen to watch this video, to share it and to say, yes, this is so true and to relate to it and to feel like they are somehow empowered by it. Uh, it's because there is a little bit of truth to it and here's what is actually true. So if you're listening to this and you feel offended by the things that I am saying, just hang on tight. We're going to get to, we're going to get to the rest of it. We're going to flip this over and say what's not actually true about it. But, uh, as a woman, I am telling you from my experience what is true in this video. Uh, women are held to opposing standards in society. The qualifications for what is beautiful uh, changes change every few years. So when I was in middle school, those of you who are my age, I was born in 92. So if you were born around there, you probably had the same kind of middle school experience. Although I think the middle school experience of just general awkwardness is probably universal. But this particular middle school experience was that everyone wanted to look like Paris Hilton or like Ashley Simpson or Avril Lavigne. So that means no hips, no butt, low rise jeans with the skin like between your belly button and your hips showing. So not actually your belly button, but the skin between your belly button and your hips for whatever reason, that was a good look. And I wanted to be able to pull that off so bad when I was like in sixth and seventh grade. Not only would, of course, my parents not let me wear a shirt that showed my my stomach, thank goodness, but also I could just never pull it off. I didn't have that body type. Other people did, had that just kind of like straight and narrow look. And I remember in middle school wanting that, wanting to be able to look like that and wanting to be able to uh, to pull off that look. And I just never could. And mark my words though, still to this day, if low rise jeans come back, I am going to revolt. I'm going to start some kind of revolution that pushes back against the demonic forces of low rise jeans because I still can't pull them off and I refuse to even try. So back then people wanted frosty highlights. They wanted like the tiny thin eyebrows. In fifth grade, I actually shaved part of my eyebrow the day before school pictures, y'all. Like this just shows you how little young people, probably especially young girls, I won't say especially young girls because young boys can do stupid things too, but how just 
silly, silly kids can be in our decision making. But I never had those like tiny thin eyebrows and I had no idea what I was doing. I thought it'd be so cool to be able to like wax my eyebrows or pluck my eyebrows. But instead of getting tweezers, I got a razor and I shaved like half of my eyebrow off. I'll have to find the school picture so you guys can actually see it. Maybe I'll post it on Instagram after this uh, podcast episode goes up. Uh, but that's what women have been doing probably for all of history, trying and very often failing to reach these arbitrary standards of beauty that change so much. Uh, as we got into the 21st century or farther into the 21st century, like just a few years ago, it became obvious that that standard of beauty of having these like thin, narrow hips and no butt that was out the window. Then it became like the Kardashian curvaceous thing that became really popular on Instagram and on social media. And that's still the case. Really, we can like exclusively thank the Kardashians for the kind of body type that is now uh, coveted. And a lot of the female rappers that are out there, that is what is uh, seen as beautiful and hot and cool and enviable now. Uh, these kinds of changes, the standards of beauty, have changed uh, throughout history for women. Uh, in the dating department, so this is another standard that women have uh have to reach. It's a weird game that women feel like they have to play. Don't be too aggressive or forward. If you want a guy to like you, speak your mind, but learn how to speak your mind. Uh, learn how to say no, though. Uh, so you don't want to be too aggressive, but you have to be a little bit assertive. So you have to strike the balance between desperation and dependence. Don't be clingy, but a guy also needs to know that he's needed. Uh, there are other standards women feel like they have to chase, like the standard of success, there was a time when fulfillment was equated uh, with motherhood, with having a lot of kids, with keeping your house in order. And then, and I'm talking about just like kind of secular society or society at large here. Uh, then being a stay at home mom, uh, then uh, being a stay at home mom started to be viewed as the easy option in comparison to having a corporate career. Being a stay at home mom was seen as uh, repressive and boring. There is still a stigma, I would say, surrounding being, quote, just a stay at home mom. I heard a young woman on the news the other day say that 50 years ago, she would have been forced to just stay at home with her kids all day. Yikes. Like, that's still a mentality that a lot of people have on both sides of the aisle. But today, you're really expected to to do it all. So this is how the standard has shifted again. You're expected to be a stay-at-home mom and have a lucrative side hustle or keep your full-time job, put your kids in daycare, but still be perfectly as organized and present and as engaged and as rested as if you were spending eight hours at home with your kids. Um, in the media, as a woman, if you debate with someone, if you debate with another woman, it's a cat fight. If you show passion about something, it's a meltdown. It's hysterical. It's emotional. If you make an impact, you're just seeking attention. If you critique another woman's views, you're just jealous. If you offer your perspective, you're opinionated. If you're unintimidated by opposition, you're brash. And the likelihood of hearing all of these things doubles if you are a young woman in the media. Uh, so women, especially young women, uh, they learn to play this game, not just in the media, but just in the professional world in general, of not being too threatening, of dialing it back, of playing the cue card when you can, of feigning ignorance when necessary, of pretending to not have an opinion on something that you're actually very sure about, of being nice when women really should be honest, of uh, not saying uh, that we should 
and uh, I'm not saying that we should do these things, but women do do these things. We learn this stuff as a means of survival, of getting along. And there's a very thin line in the professional world that I've noticed that as a woman uh, who has dealt myself, I, I've dealt with a, a range of people and who has watched other women uh, deal with a range of people in business. If you are passive as a woman, you are taken advantage of, you are walked over. But if you are assertive, then you're called a you-know-what. So uh, most women, at least in the business world, typically decide to be a you-know-what. They say, I'm just going to risk being called that because what else am I going to do? I'm not saying this is me, but this is a lot of women I have noticed kind of take on this mentality because they feel like it's what they have to do in order to move ahead. Uh, Women, by nature of being physically weaker than men, are almost always on guard in public, at least a little bit. This is actually an innate uh, biological response to potential danger because the next best tool a woman has in public uh, to a weapon is situational awareness. I am always scouting for danger when I'm in a parking garage, on a walk, anywhere in public, uh, periodically watching my back in all these situations, keeping an eye on the guy across the room that looks sketchy, locking my car doors as soon as I get in the car. And that's not paranoia. It's just second nature to a lot of women. It's just something that you uniquely women have to deal with. Uh, The vast majority of predators are men and women make up a large number of prey. So we are just being statistically savvy when we watch out for ourselves when we're by ourselves. Uh, The fact is women are much more susceptible to rape, to assault, and to harassment than men are. Men have Uh, lots of other obstacles that they have to face. And if this were a podcast for men, I'd be going into all of those. But uh, this comes with the territory of, as women, physical weakness, of vulnerability, of desirability. So women have obstacles. Um, And this right here, this right here, listing all of the obstacles, listing all of the struggles, listing all of the disadvantages that women face is where feminism stops. This is where this specific video stops, giving a list of all of the ways that women are oppressed, and that's it. There was no conclusion to that video, no solution, just anger, just cries of injustice and inequality meant to get uh, women to say, yeah, I feel that way. I'm really mad about that too, to justify our resentment and our rage. Uh, That is the sole secular answer to unfair societal standards for women, unfair realities for women, or what is deemed as unfair. Uh, To be mad. Be mad at who? Be mad at men. They're the ones in power, so they must be the ones that are making the rules, rules that you can't ever perfectly follow, rules that you were never meant to follow, feminism says. So it tells us to break free of the rules, to smash the patriarchy, to reject toxic masculinity, to take charge, to own your power, to get angry, to stay bitter. Um, How incredibly, how incredibly depressing. Like if that is our solution, if that is our conclusion, uh, that's the world's answer to unfairness. It's to just be mad about it, to stay mad about it, to resent men, to be filled with and fueled by rage, to talk about all the problems you face and just be angry that they exist. Heck, you should make up a problem. If you can't find one, uh, like the gender wage gap, keep protesting that even though you know that when all factors are considered, so education, experience, hours, work, to job title, there is no wage gap, but stay mad about that. Um, And as far as solutions for our problems go, feminists have got some incredible suggestions, incredible suggestions. So um, I guess they do present some kind of solution, but here they are. Be like men. 
Pretend that you don't have an innate drive to be a mother. Abort your babies if they get in the way of your plans. Suppress that natural inclination you have to take care of children and instead get a dog in an 80-hour-a-week career. Uh, Don't rely on a man. Rely on yourself. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. Worship yourself. That's what feminism tells us. These are apparently uh, some of the solutions that we have to our misery and our resentment against men. But as we know, self-worship, self-centeredness leads only to misery, to loneliness, to purposelessness, to sadness, to emptiness. This video exemplifies that. All of the things that they, that feminism suggests that we do to be like men, to abort our children, to focus on uh, exclusively on our career and not worry about a family and serving other people. Uh, This video exemplifies that trying all of those things, which feminists have tried for decades, aren't working because these feminists are still miserable. They're still sad. They're still purposeless uh, and they're still empty. Like, do you think, just be honest, do you think that Cynthia Nixon is a happy person? Like, what about Chelsea Handler? How about Alyssa Milano, Miley Cyrus, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Elizabeth Warren? Like, do these frontline feminists seem like well-adjusted, fulfilled, happy people to you? I don't know. Maybe they are. But I don't know very many happy, fulfilled, radical feminists. Do you? Uh, Feminism is about pointing out problems, some are real, some are perceived, and offering stupid solutions to them. That is what feminism is. And the result is that girls and women are angry. They're resentful. They're self-absorbed. They're egotistical. They're prideful, while at the exact same time struggling with self-loathing and insecurity. Does that sound like a good deal to you? Why? Why? How is it possible for them to feel this way in what seems like a paradox? How is it possible for young feminists to be simultaneously egotistical and self-hating? Because while feminism is going around telling women to love themselves, to put themselves first, these same women are the ones making the rules that make us hate ourselves. Uh, These standards that I listed, that were listed in this video, most of them, not all, but most of them were imposed by other women, not men. Uh, We followed, for example, uh, Paris Hilton, Britney Spears, and Kim Kardashian for beauty tips, not a man. We have decided what is hot and what it's and what is not. And we have decided that women have to journey towards these goals and men don't care so long as we continue to take our clothes off and post pictures of ourselves half naked. Uh, I mean, are, are we idiots? Like, are we that dumb that we don't understand that, that women are responsible for so much of the misery that other women endure. Uh, The ever-changing standards of beauty, the jealousy, the gossip, the comparison, the passive-aggressiveness, the overall toxicity, the inability to be able to cheer another woman on. We have created and cultivated this stuff. This isn't the patriarchy. This is the matriarchy. That's part of the problem. Now, do men prey upon women? Absolutely. Uh, They deserve just punishment. And we can talk about that. We can talk about Harvey Weinstein and all of these other terrible predators that we know and all of those uh, that we know deserve justice and their victims deserve to see justice carried out. So, of course, there are and there always have been and there always will be men who do hold women back, who abuse women, who take advantage of women. But we cannot blame men for every unfair standard that is set for us. 
every injustice that we endure, every gap in achievement that we see, every bit of oppression or repression that we experience, so much of the grief that we girls go through is because of our own toxic mindsets, our own ego, our own superficiality, our own insecurity, our own envy and lust and greed. There is this weird, this bizarre mentality that exists both in secular feminism and within what is considered Christian feminism that women have been so perpetually victimized that we should not be held liable for our sin. Uh, In the secular world, this is seen in believe all women. So that whole mantra that became very popular during the whole Kavanaugh saga, believe all women. So not just listen to women, not just hear their stories. Those things I'm definitely on board with. Not just, hey, give credibility where credibility is due. I'm on board with that, but believe all women. I'm not okay with that because women are just as capable of lying and deceiving as men are. Uh, In Christianity, think about some of the women's conferences that you have been to. If you have ever been to a women's conference that is more sensation than substance, more emotion than actual worship, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, The premise of many messages at these types of Christian women's conferences is that your real problem as a woman, the thing that's really holding you back from living an abundant life isn't your sin, but your insecurity. We so rarely, as Christian women, hear that our biggest problem is the same as men's biggest problem, that we are dead in our sin apart from Christ, that we are wretched, that we are depraved, that we are fundamentally corrupt, that we need Jesus to save us from our sin, not just tell us that we're pretty. Uh, It would seem, if you read many women's Bible studies, not all, but many women's Bible studies in, in Christian books, Christian women's books, and attend these many of these Christian women's conferences, that the most important thing for women to know, you would think the most important thing for women to know is that we're amazing, that we're enough, that we're worthy, that we're deserving. That is not why Jesus came to die. Jesus did not come to save you, woman, because you are amazing and enough and worthy and deserving. He saved you. He saved me because we're not. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, Ephesians 2, you hear me talk about this passage a lot because I think it is such a clear uh, explanation of what the gospel is. For you were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked, glorifying, gratifying the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This line, by grace, you have been saved, which most of us Christians know, means nothing if we don't also know uh, the gravity, the importance of the first four words of Ephesians 2. For you were dead. You were dead. You and I were dead in our sin apart from Christ. That is your problem. That is my problem. Society isn't our problem as women. The patriarchy isn't our problem. Our negative body image is not our main battle. Our our insecurities, our self-loathing, our self-deprecation, our emotionally abusive ex-boyfriend, all of those uh, may have a negative uh, effect on us, but they are not our biggest issue. Your and my biggest issue 
is that we are dead sinners without Christ. And we don't get a pass for being women. We will sit before the judgment seat of Christ one day and without the blood of the lamb, we will not be justified. That is our biggest problem. Uh, It is time that we women start realizing, start facing our capacity for sin, that it is just as great as men's capacity. And our guiltiness of sin is just as great as man's guiltiness. And this emotionalism, this coddling that we're getting from some leading Christian women that would have us believe that our biggest problem is that we don't love ourselves enough is damaging. I mean, are you kidding? Uh, We have this mindset that women, again, are so perpetually victimized that we can't possibly be guilty. But it's actually both. Women are victimized in many cases, but we are still ultimately guilty for our sin. Uh, A great example of this is with abortion. In Christian conservatism, a lot of people seem to have the idea that women get abortions because they hate themselves. That's not true. Women get abortions because women, just like men, are sinners, because we can be selfish. Now, are many women deceived? Absolutely. I would say in some way, all women who get abortions are deceived, some more so and more overtly than others. Uh, Are they made to feel, are some women made to feel like it's their only choice? Yes. And should we treat them with compassion? Absolutely. But let's not pretend that women don't also have the capacity for evil and that they don't abort their babies sometimes, very often, if not most times, for sheer convenience. Uh, You may have seen some of the viral videos that have been going around on TikTok that are shared on Twitter and Instagram. I don't actually recommend watching them. You can just take my word for it. There are uh, videos by young girls going to get abortions and they're laughing about it. They're excited about it. They're rejoicing over it. They're even showing that uh, like their pregnant bellies in the mirror. And then they are showing a picture of the moving baby on a sonogram. And they are laughing and excited about being uh, uh, about to be uh, killing their child. It is callous. It's chilling. And it shows you the consequence of godlessness. These girls are not laughing about killing their babies because they struggle with insecurity, guys. They are sinners in need of a savior, just like we have all been. Uh, They are children of wrath, just like as Ephesians 2 says, we all once were. As women, our sin and our need of our salvation is our number one problem, a problem that Jesus alone can solve. And any effort to alleviate women of the weight of that reality because you think women have been through too much already is unloving. Uh, Women need the gospel, the hard truth, the sinners in the hands of an angry God reality that apart from Jesus, we are dead people walking. Uh, Contrary to popular opinion in 2020, the gospel is not that you're beautiful. The gospel is not even just that God loves you. Yes, we were made in God's image, so we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that is something to rejoice over. And yes, God is love, and what a wonderful thing to worship him for. But the gospel is that you and I are wicked, that we have hard hearts, and that we need Jesus to make us new. We need his forgiveness, his grace, his sacrifice. He died and rose again on our behalf to save us from our sin, to glorify himself, to save us from our sin. The great news is, is that he gives us the things that we are truly longing for. Uh, The forgiveness and grace and true deep satisfaction that we want and need. Now, let me address the other side of this 
in the Christian church. So there has also been a reaction to Christian feminism among some people in, I would say, conservative evangelical Christianity. I'm obviously conservative evangelical, um, but there seems to be, it's a small minority, but I've just kind of noticed this attitude, especially on social media. There seems to be an attitude among some people in conservative evangelical Christianity in reaction towards what is called Christian feminism that to me is too harsh. Uh, that kind of seems to take joy in putting women down and belittling women and putting women in their place and regarding women as foolish, silly harlots who need to be pushed back a little bit. Uh, these kinds of people, of course, these kinds of uh, self-righteous people have always existed. But I think now they feel like they have a worthy cause against what they perceive to be and sometimes rightly the dangers of Christian feminism. This group seems to be hypersensitive to anything that might look like Christian feminism, even if it's not. So like even defense of victims of abuse. These people to me are too harsh. They're mean. They're patronizing. They see women uh, being coddled. And so they swing in the opposite direction and accuse women, at least implicitly, of being the root of all evil. They see men as victims, uh, victims to women's wily ways, to society's efforts to emasculate, to the aggressive feminist who has turned the American male into a eunuch. And so they use theology to club women over the head and they call it speaking the truth in love when that's not what it is. They have a superiority complex that I don't think is glorifying to God. This is wrong. Uh, just as it is not true that woman is any less on the hook for her sin than a man is, we are also not more culpable. Uh, in the same way that the patriarchy isn't Christian women's uh, biggest problem, feminism is not the Christian man's biggest problem. And when both sexes act like victims, rather than taking up their crosses and following Jesus, seeds of discord and bitterness and all kinds of ugliness are sown. What we see in the Bible is that Jesus is indeed gentle towards women. He is, he is gentle towards many sinners, uh, but he does seem to be uh, especially gentle towards women, not in a way that in any way belittles their sin or minimizes their sinfulness, but in a way that highlights, I think, uh, female vulnerability, which is different than male vulnerability. That's just how God made us in that complementarian way. And so we see Jesus and his interaction with women reflecting uh, that uniqueness of women. John 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well telling her of her sin, but also revealing himself as the Messiah, the living water that she can take part so that she will never thirst, healing the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years in Mark 5. Jesus makes a point to pay attention to her. He didn't have to do that. He paid attention to her. He looked her in the eye, someone who had been seen as unclean for over a decade. Uh, the woman who was caught in adultery in John 8 that the Pharisees wanted to stone. He said, only those of you who are without sin can cast a stone. And they all dropped their stones and left. And Jesus looked at this woman in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her shame. And he said, I don't condemn you and told her to leave her life of sin. In Luke 7, a woman described as a woman of the city, a sinner, washed Jesus' feet uh, with her tears and anointed him with oil. The Pharisees had a fit over this because she was a sinner, but Jesus is grateful for her love and tells her that her sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus first appeared to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, comforting and surprising her in her sadness. Jesus is our model. 
Jesus was gentle towards women. He was gentle towards the wayward, like I said, and the lost in general, but he did not treat women uh, with the particular disdain that many of uh, the people at that time were used to. And we see throughout the Bible that God uses women in special ways, even prostitutes like Rahab to accomplish his purposes. But at the same time, God doesn't let women off the hook for their sin. Jesus, in his interaction with women, speaks very openly and very uh, boldly about women's sin. And so we see this dichotomy of gentleness and truth of love and uh, boldness in Jesus that I think all of us, no matter our gender, need to reflect. Uh, this is why, just as a reminder, I know we all know this on this podcast, but this is why the Bible is sufficient, the only sufficient guide that we have to show us how we should view women and how we should treat women. Uh, women are sinners no less sinners than any man, and we need the undeterred gospel just as desperately as any man does. Uh, that is our problem. Not society, not the patriarchy, not men. While abuse is real, discrimination and sexism are real, they are all symptoms of sin. So the remedy for the sins of others in our own sin is not feminism, but Jesus. We do not need feminism, which is a secular movement to try to achieve equality with men through sameness and includes terrible things like abortion. Uh, we don't need sugar-coated emotional female conferences telling us that we're pretty. We need Jesus, his gentleness and his truth, his love and his gospel, which are all intertwined. They're not separate. Uh, Jesus, in all his gentleness and compassion and truth and eagerness, to save and his ability to sanctify. That's what we need. Uh, feminism doesn't solve our problems. It simply creates bitterness, resentment. It puffs up our pride. It seeks to drive out our natural inclination towards being nurturers and caretakers and to replace them with some kind of girl boss mentality that is ultimately unfulfilling. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a hard worker. Of course, the Bible tells us to work hard. That doesn't mean that you can't have certain particular goals. I obviously don't think that. Uh, it does mean that you are not to become, we are not to become a callous product of this world in search of a success that will not satisfy. We are to be soft-hearted, compassionate women who love Jesus and the people that he has placed in our lives. Uh, the world is always going to have ever-changing standards. So forget that. Like we should find no solace and no empowerment from a video like the one that Cynthia Nixon is speaking in. Uh, we have one standard as Christians, and that is the word of God. So if we are in Christ, the Holy Spirit, our helper, will give us the power to abide by the word of God better and better as our lives go on and we seek him. Uh, we will never reach the standard of perfection that God demands of all who enter his kingdom, which is why it is such good news that Jesus reached that standard on our behalf once and for all and by grace through faith, not of our own doing in Christ, God accepts us. Uh, how freeing is it that we don't have to be so mad all the time as women, so bitter, so resentful, so covetous of what we don't have, so angry at the so-called patriarchy. We have unconditional joy knowing who we are and what we were made for. Okay, that wraps up the episode today. We will be back here on Wednesday, and I hope you guys have a great Monday.